Uh, so, good morning. So be aware, awareness here and now. Like, this is called direct pointing. You know, I can teach you Dhamma from, from the scripture and, uh, you know, give you a list of Buddha teachings, but the important thing is that being aware, that's the, the whole essence, that's the way to realize ultimate reality or the Dhamma, the Amata Dhamma. So during this time that I've been here at Amavati, I've tried to, you know, encourage this direct practice by just saying the most obvious things like, you know you're conscious, that's a kind of knowing. I mean, we all know we're conscious, so it's not, not a matter of uh, not being conscious, but recognizing consciousness is like this. And you can't find it, but you are that. This, this awareness, this knowing the present is like this. Then there was a question somebody asked about when you realize that, that the empty, aware consciousness, what do you do next? You know, so that's the, the following question, what's next? And in the sequence of the Four Noble Truths, you know, the, the Third Noble Truth is the insight into Niroda, or cessation, the absence. The absence of attachment, absence of self, empty consciousness, like just it's like this. And as you begin to realize the profundity of this, just opening to the the present moment as it is. And then the thinking mind will say, What do I do with that? Yeah, can how can I what do I do next? How do I practice? So the <clears throat> third noble truth is where the consciousness realizes itself, knows itself. Consciousness aware of consciousness. So that's an empty moment. It's, it's you know, because we usually are conscious of objects, going out, looking at, listening, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, feeling. And when we stop that, stop just sending our, our awareness out, mindfulness out to objects, then there's awareness, it's awareness of itself because it's here and now. It doesn't arise and cease. And just by 
reflecting in this way, here and now, doesn't arise and cease, not self. Consciousness is, you know, you have to, if you start thinking it's my consciousness, that's you creating something onto it. You know, you're creating a sense of identity which is impermanent, like the self view, the self sakyaditi or the ego is an impermanent condition where consciousness itself is permanent. And that's Niroda, the third noble truth. And the advice, you know, in the sequence of the four noble truths, there's the, there's the statement, uh, condition cease, suffering that has arisen ceases, and then you then you you're aware of the cessation, the absence of suffering is like this. And then the advice of the Buddha is to make it make that your path. To make it clear, because it's usually just a flash, you know, just a, a momentary insight. And of course, the thinking mind comes, you will then say, what next, what do I do next? Because it leaves you in a state of, of wonder, of non-self, of non-attachment. And emotionally, we're not conditioned for that. You know, our condition, our emotional conditioning is for greed, hatred, and delusion, for happiness and suffering for for phenomenon for a phenomena that arises and ceases and so you know the happiness unhappiness heaven hell good bad all the extremities are emotions that that we're conditioned with we 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 experience uh, blissful states or hellish states and the emotions that that we identify with when we're negative or positive. But for equanimity, for upeka, for emptiness, there's no emotion. You know, we're not it's not an emotional state, it's a balance. Equani we call equanimity or upeka and pali. And because it's non-personal, non-grasping, you know, the thinking mind doesn't know what to do with it. it, it you know, what do I do next is the next, is, would be the next thought. And in Thai, they say, Tam Hai Jang, make it clear, you know, make it, recognize it. It's reality itself, it's ultimate reality itself. And then that establishes samaditi or right or perfect understanding, which is the fourth noble truth, what we call the Eightfold Path. So samaditi comes from that insight. 
So samaditi in the in the terms of the Four Noble Truths is perfect under perfect insight, perfect understanding. You can't get better than that. It's not beyond better. It's it's here and now. It's perfect. Understand this is the path. Then the thinking mind will come in and say, are you sure it's the path? <laughs> you know, and this is where, because you know, your thinking mind is built on the sense of that I have an ego, that I have a body, that I'm a conditioned phenomenon as a person. So like doubt is, uh, is always the result of Thinking, you know, the thinking process always ends up in the Pali word wichikita or doubt. So that's why I have always uh, encouraged you to observe this. How do I practice? What's next? How should I, should I practice so many hours a day? Should I go on retreats, how do I integrate mindfulness into daily life? They're all questions, common enough questions that we ask ourselves or teachers or others. And that's the thinking mind. We want to know what to do next. And so for the insight with samaditi, right understanding or perfect understanding, then there's the, this is where bhavana really, the, the Pali word bhavana or mindfulness, meditation, patipata, is this is where you develop this path through through daily life, through your lifespan. So it's, you know, from that insight into emptiness, into consciousness knowing itself, consciousness knowing consciousness. Then that is, that's the ultimate. You can't can't get beyond that. But it doesn't seem like anything. It doesn't, you know, in terms of the worldly mindset, the conditioned views that we have about ourselves and the world around us. It's like nothing. Because there's no object to grasp. No, nothing to, to do really. Except right understanding or perfect understanding, samaditi, sama, sangapo, the rest of the, the eight folds are not eight steps. It's not like one, then the second, then the third, and so on. Eight folds, they rise together. Right understanding, right intention, right attitude, right attitude. Right speech, right action, right mindfulness, right livelihood, 
right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. And that sums it up in this simple simplicity of awareness here and now. So it's like keeping this paradigm of the Four Noble Truths as a constant reminder. You know, it's like, you know, this has been my constant reminder through my monastic life, the Four Noble Truths. Until eventually, like Bhavana or right meditation is, is, is cultivating this awareness in daily life. So the question of what next, what do you do next, be aware of that. It's, that leads to the same place, emptiness. You want instructions from a teacher or from a manual or something from outside yourself. What do I do next? Where trust your awareness, that's a question. And when you ask yourself a question, there's, at the end of a question, there's emptiness. There's, and if you recognize you don't need to know what to do next. Just trust your awareness. And then life takes care of itself. We have our like monastic form to live in. <clears throat> you have your lay life, family life, working life. So these are the, the forms of the worldly, of the world that we're living in, in, in the physical form. But how to use your life with awareness? You know what happens when you, when things are going well, your your success at your job, you won the lottery, you found the loved one of your life, you have a beautiful home, you have everything is like this. And then you lose everything is like this. And so whatever happens then, whether success or failure, praise or blame, good fortune, misfortune, happiness and suffering, eight worldly dhammas, you know, change according to circumstances. So, you know, this we still, you know, through the lifespan of the physical body, it's engaged in, in feeling, in, in pleasure, pain, neutral feelings, and success and failure, praise and blame. That's the way life is. But our relationship to praise and blame, success and failure is no longer personal. Like the book, Don't Take Your Life Personally. A very good title for a book. Yes, because otherwise we do. Everything is very personal and about me and fear, self-consciousness, anxiety about the future, guilt, remorse about the past. 
people are, you know, will say, I've done some bad things in the past, life, what will I be reborn as? And, and so, I mean, there's guilt, there's remorse, there's fear. The past, right now, when you think of the past, anything like even yesterday or last year, or 20 years ago, you ask yourself, what is it right now? What is the past right now just sitting here in the Amabati temple? You know, what is yesterday? I'm considering, what, what is yesterday right now, here and now? It's a memory. And it loses its, you know, ability to, to, to tempt us, to, to cling to it, to hold to it. Tomorrow, the future, anything's possible. The new property that's been donated to the monastery, hand over the keys. Maybe they won't, maybe they'll back out. Maybe they'll hand over the keys. Maybe the house will burn down. Maybe there'll be a galactic catastrophe. I mean, you can imagine anything tomorrow. I mean, more likely the keys will be handed over. But, but just pointing to, at this moment, this very moment you're sitting here, tomorrow is what you don't know. It's speculation. It's maybe, could be, perhaps. So this, this kind of reminding you know, remembering the here and now, the Pachubana Dhamma, the present reality of now. Is developing the path. It's cultivating. It's niroda, cessation, non-attachment, non-self. So Lung po, Lung po Cha told me once that bhavana or meditation really begins once you've had that insight. And I've seen, you know, so many people <clears throat> never really taking the Four Noble Truths seriously. You know, there, you, there's so much emphasis on getting concentration, on getting samadhi, on getting something. So much emphasis on rules and regulations and tradition that we, you know, we, we tend to bind ourselves to conditioned phenomena all the time. Wanting to get something we don't have. Worrying about whether our, our, about our purity, our state of mind. You know, the self-view keeps arising and, and uh, in regard to the sila practices. 
And so that's why it's important to, to recognize Sakya Diti is this, this sense of a separate self. I'm this person, I'm this body, I'm this, these feelings, I'm these doubts, my purity. Now, I'm not saying these are wrong, but also pointing them out with developing the path is to be aware of that. That sense of me and mine, of, of attachment to forms out of ignorance. So this is like with Vinaya. It's, it's a attachment. First, you know, Lung Po Chao said, told me to, you have to learn Vinaya, you have to really attach to it. Because the story goes, he was, we were walking together at Tamsangpet, and he, he said, Sumedha, you must have some doubts about, you know, Dhamma is all about letting go, Vinaya is all about attachment. And so I said, yeah, that, that does, I find that very confusing. Because one thing, you know, you've got this numbers non-attachment, and then you're saying attach. And so the, the attachment isn't to be, a, isn't to create a, a, a self-view. It's just a form to use for awareness. To see the sense of a self as attached to principles, standards, rules, ideals. You know, like ideals, you can have very high-minded ideals. And, you know, they're very, they're perfect, you know, you can create perfection with ideals. But then, when we attach to ideals, then the reality of here and now is, is, you know, all you can be is negative or critical because it's not ideal. Here and now is not an idea. It's not an ideal. Ideals don't feel, don't experience heat and cold, pleasure and pain. So they're pristine and perfect. And they give direction. Like when we, to this afternoon, there's this upasambhada ordination, and they'll have to say, to realize the purpose of this ordination, bhikkhu ordination, is to realize nibbana. So realizing nibbana is the whole aim of, that's the, at first it's an ideal. We've idealized Nibbana as some goal we have to move toward or get that we don't have right now. So that's the beginning, you know. So you're not just ordaining for tradition or, you know, for worldly reasons, the whole goal of the monastic life is to realize ultimate truth, Nibbana. And then the word Nibbana becomes an ideal that we imagine is like absolute purity, absolute perfection, equanimity, 
and then we, we see ourselves in relationship to this ideal of Nibbana. As you know, I've got kilesas, I've got defilements, I have bad thoughts, I get angry, I have a lot of fears, I have a lot of guilt and remorse, I worry all the time, I'm full of anxiety and stress. And so, you know, on, when you waken to the reality of now, as a person, you know, Nibbana seems way beyond me. So it's too, you know, it's an ideal of total equanimity and perfection. But developing the path in the present isn't trying to get Nibbana as some object, you know, trying to make yourself into an equanimous individual without any defects. It's by observing, by witnessing the nature of sankharas, this sense of yourself as imperfect, the sense of yourself as a person with, with faults, with kilesas, with defilement, with guilt, remorse, with worry, you're, you're an anxiety-ridden person, you're a nervous wreck, uh, and so forth. Seeing these, these identities, the way we tend to to create ourselves through the critical mind. Because the human form is, is, is not an ideal form. It's a changing, impermanent, sensitive form. And this is the, what, it, what it's like to have human birth, is you're, you're experiencing impermanence, change, sensitivity from the day you're born to the present moment till the day you die. This is like, it's like this, samsara, the world, the sense realm, the human body is like this. And in this way, you're, you're, you're not, you're beginning to accept the realities of change, impermanence, and non-self. Rather than trying to get rid of the bad and hold on to the good, create uh, absolutely pure states and try to get rid of the impure ones. Because that kind of thing, you'll never succeed in total waste of time and you'll only fail. Because it's impossible. It's not about perfecting the human body or the personality or the conditioned realm. Because it's, it isn't perfectible. Its nature is anicca, dukkha, anatta. You know, it's these three characteristics of all phenomena. That's its very nature. So the Buddha said, you know, that all conditions are impermanent. They're all unsatisfactory. And that's not a kind of put down or a, a you know, a, a kind of negative view of life. It's a recognition of, of what we're experiencing through the forms, through the conditioning of the mind, through the emotional habits, through the human body, through the society, the sense world that we're experiencing in the present. 
And then you ask yourself, what isn't changing here and now? That's awareness. We might think our awareness changes because we, you know, we still identify with my awareness. I've got to be more aware. I've got to become aware. You're aware all the time. You know, consciousness doesn't arise and cease. So then that's the refuge of Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And in this position as a human individual, as Bhutto is the ability of a human individual to realize Dhamma. But we use the word Bhutto rather than Ajahn Sumedho realizing the Dhamma. So we're not making it personal, like Ajahn Sumedho's personal name. So that is Ajahn Sumedho realizing the Dhamma. Or is it Bhutto realizing ultimate reality? And so they, this is, like I say, internalizing these refuges. So they're not just chants and part of just a ceremonial practice in Theravada Buddhism. They actually help to, to, to get perspective on the sense of yourself with your name, with the identity, with your physical appearance, your body your emotions, thoughts, memories, the world that we're experiencing at this present moment is like this. And then recognize that. Trust, trust your, this is what awareness is in the present moment. When it's knowing itself. It's not knowing about anything. Like you want to know something, but knowing itself, self-knowing, isn't about anything at all. But it's like this, awareness here and now. So, it, you know, then you hear sound of silence, it's equanimous. If you trust it, if you learn to Recognize it. Don't make it into anything. Don't add to it. Put something onto it. Just, it's this empty state of conscious awareness is like this. So, this, this statement of it's like this, if you're going to think, this is a good thought. Because it's not defining anything. It's not, it's not, you're not objectifying. It's just a helpful way of reminding yourself. It's this way right now. It's like this feeling, the emotion. It's not any way bigger, but it's accepting what you're feeling in the present. The body that you're experiencing in the present. It's not trying to change or criticize or do anything, but be aware. It's like this.
So the fourth noble truth, what they call the Eightfold Path, perfect understanding. Right understanding is like the worldly right understanding. Do good, refrain from doing bad. Things like this, are, you know, these, this is like worldly, samaditi on the, on the worldly level. But in relationship to the Four Noble Truths, it's the, the consciousness knowing itself. You can't get beyond that. You can't. There's nothing beyond that. And then Nibbana, rather than becoming an unreachable goal that you imagine, some ideal that you create in your mind, you know, is here and now. It's not remote. It's not out of reach. It's, you know, in terms of a personality reaching Nibbana, well, that's impossible. Your personality can't, can't recognize it itself. Your personality changes according to conditions. And so, you know, that on a personal level you can't realize Nibbana. But when you let go, see the futility of creating a personality and believing in your personality, in your feelings, in your thoughts, in your memories, in the worldview, in the cultural conditioning, when you believe all that, that that will always keep you in the cycles of samsara vata, the cycles of birth and death, because that's that's what it's about. You're you're kind of hopelessly caught in the turmoil of samsara. But nibbana, in contrast. isn't a negation of samsara, but it's no longer believing in it, no longer identifying with samsara. So it's not, you know, it's not something, I mean, when you, as I was saying before, when you ordain and you say to realize nirvana, it's a good ideal, you know, that's the aim of the holy life. But the meditation, the bhavana, is to realize nibbana, not to, it's not about this monk, this nun realizing nibbana anymore as a person. But through shedding, realizing the suffering we create through identifying with the forms that we're in, the bodies that we have, the conditions, the traditions, all, all conditioned phenomena is impermanent, not self. And what's left is awareness, consciousness, so oftentimes they try to define nibbana, you know they it's like being cool or you're carrying a heavy burden you're you're weary because 
you've been carrying this heavy burden and you're really tired and you set it down, the relief. Something quite ordinary, isn't it? Rather than being, you know, ecstatic out of your mind with bliss and, and floating on a cloud, it's realizing the way things are. Recognizing the reality of now, the Dhamma of here and now, rather than looking for, in the future, for enlightenment or for attainment, for success. So are there any other questions? Right, not not annihilation. But no self, you know. Like what? Like at this very moment, there's those separate selves filling this temple. The individual bodies and um, personalities males, females, young, old. These are all separate selves that we identify with, you know, as, that I'm sitting here, you're sitting there, we're totally separate. Then we reflect on what is unitive, what is uniting this moment. Is it consciousness? We're all consciousness isn't isn't personal, and then when you realize nibbana, then there's consciousness knowing itself, but it's not. You can't claim it as a person because the personality is a, is a thought. You have to think to become a person. To, to create yourself as a separate person, you start thinking, I'm this body, I'm sitting here, you're sitting there. So what is, 
complete and perfect at this moment is Dhamma. And Dhamma and consciousness, you know, in terms of, we use the word Dhamma or we reflect on the reality of, we, we don't know what that quite means, what that might mean. Different, you know, it's a word that we can't define or imagine. So what is it? You know, in terms of reality, no, we're, we're all experiencing consciousness. We create in consciousness a sense of ourself. So when the empty, empty consciousness with the mindfulness, then there, then, you know, when we begin to reflect, realize that this is the path, this mindfulness is the path, then the, then the uh, thinking mind comes in, and that, then we, we attach to the thought, and we become a person again. But if you, when you're in pure awareness, there's no person, I can't, there's no way you can establish ownership of Nibbana or Dhamma as a person. So these words like the Dhamma, Nibbana, Anatta, Niroda, you know, they, they, they stop the thinking mind because you can't conceive them. You can't imagine Niroda. Otherwise, you, you know, it's, it sounds like annihilation. The end of suffering means you know, like everything's destroyed, all the sankharas have have been demolished, annihilated totally. That's the Buddha made very clear his teaching is not about annihilation or conditions being eternal. So it's not be, uh, uh, about eternal conditions, perfect conditions, forever and ever, or total annihilation of conditions. That's all the thinking mind can create. You know, what is Nibbana? Happiness forevermore? We think I'll be happy when I realize Nibbana. I'll be peaceful and calm. And I won't suffer anymore forever. That's the thinking mind. And that's the personal way of thinking and hoping about the, the, when you first encounter the word Nibbana. Or... Maybe there's fear because of doing wrong in the world in this lifetime. We might go to hell, an eternal hell realm, unmitigated burning pain and misery for eternity, forever and ever. That's a creation of thought. That's thinking. The Sakyaditi, the self-view, creates these images of eternal heaven and eternal hell. But what but right now, what is eternal heaven? You know, it's a thought, you know, it's a creation. Again, two words, eternal and heaven. And that you can know, it, it arises and ceases. It's a sankara, the words themselves are sankaras. So when we grasp the words of eternal, and then we tend to believe in it, we hope that 
that will make enough merit in this life to go to eternal heaven because we don't want to go to hell. So this is all thinking, the creation of the personal view, the Sakya Ditti, that we believe that we attach to and believe in. But on reflection, on an investigation, eternal hell, eternal heaven, their sankharas, they arise and cease in the moment. What remains when eternal hell is this concept is gone is here and now, Pachubana Dhamma. But it doesn't have any quality uh, that you can grasp. You know, it's not ungraspable, but it's reality itself. So Nibbana then, just, uh, you know, is, is, a, is an enigmatic word because you can't define it. Say cool, relief, using ordinary words that not make it sound so beyond reach. Like eternal happiness in heaven as a physical separate person. You know, this is, what I was told when I was a boy, that if I'm good, I will go to heaven and live happily ever after with God and Jesus, then, you know, I tend to believe that as a child. That's, you know, that's comforting belief. But then in terms of when you start questioning, you know, when you're a child, you, you believe what your parents tell you, what the priest tells you. You don't question it because you think they're the authorities. They know and you're just a child learning. And then in your adolescence, you start thinking, realizing your parents maybe don't know or maybe the priest doesn't know. So you doubt, you know, you have start starting to doubt. And that's where, where Buddhism really steps in to help us. You know, I'm speaking for myself, really, because, you know, the, this is why I became interested in the Buddhist teaching. Because it investigates the reality of now. Doubting, is, is there eternal heaven? Is there eternal hell? Is there a God? You know, you, know, you tend to, to, when you start doubting, then you, you think you're an atheist. There isn't any God. God doesn't exist, it's a superstition made up by stupid people. You become cynical and conceited and arrogant as an atheist by denying all that rubbish. But that's a belief too, believing there isn't any God. Believing there isn't any eternal hell or eternal heaven. But what is outside of believing, is investigating. And this is what the Four Noble Truths do. They're, they're for investigation. They have the yoniso manasikara, you know, get to the very root. It's investigating. Finding out for yourself. 
Bajitang Maitida Pawinui could be realized individually. This is this is the the great gift we have in the Buddha Dhamma because there is a very skillful tool for investigation. As a personality, I could never have come up with the Four Noble Truths. You know, that's why I'm very grateful to the Buddha, the historical Buddha, because my personality wouldn't have figured it out. It's going all over the place. It's going from wanting to believe and then doubting and then becoming cynical. When you lose faith in your religion, you become cynical and critical of it. You know, so it's easy to see disillusioned Christians just condemning Christianity and, and uh, thinking it's all a bunch of rubbish. But that's a belief too, you know, whatever, however you want to describe it. It's still conditioned phenomena. Where in terms of, of uh, believing in God and eternal heaven, That's probably makes you happier than disbelieving. You know, you believe in something good, something beautiful. But something good and beautiful is still sankharas. You see, so it can easily, you know, you can easily doubt and disbelieve or become disillusioned. You like see what's happening in the Catholic Church today with some the sexual abuse uh, accusations and scandals, you know, people who had absolute faith in the, in, in the clergy have become disillusioned and cynical because they, they had unquestioned faith that, you know, in, in the priests and the monks and so forth. So what, what have you got if you doubt? You know, you can... Some people can get beyond it just through uh, devotion to see through their own doubts and, their, and hold to their beliefs. But others can't. Like with Buddhism, Buddha Dhamma, you, 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 you take suffering, something that isn't a belief. It's not a belief that you're asked to accept. It's a suggestion, a noble truth to investigate. And that investigation of that ordinary human experience takes you to nibbana, or ultimate reality, which you know for yourself. You know it is no longer a belief in Dhamma, belief in Buddha, and a belief in nibbana. It's, you know, belief is is something you you grasp but insight is non-grasping so the whole point of uh, the practice is to realize the suffering that you create through grasping grasping good or grasping bad out of ignorance and and to keep the balance you know in terms of what we do we you know, in terms of action and speech, we do good, refrain from doing bad. 
you know, like the sila, the vinaya. These are all conditions that we, you know, give us form for our lives. Uh, to live in a society with our families and the, and the sangha to, you know, help us not to become identified and 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 bound to rules, but they're guidelines for restraint, for action speech, for good manners, for what is appropriate in the here and now. Like a lot of the is just good manners, thoughtfulness. That's why I just kind of, kind of always trying to to get you to observe the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, nibbana, anatta, dhamma. Because these words are fantastic. Because they, you don't know what they mean. You know, in terms of definitions, and yet we say, "I believe in the dhamma." But what is the Dhamma? What do you believe in? What is the, is Dhamma real or is it just a, a vague kind of belief system that, like believing in God or you know, so it's you know, it's it's a good thing to believe in. I'm not criticizing saying you shouldn't believe in Dhamma, but I'm encouraging you to explore what a what is Dhamma here and now? Buddha said it's not a Belief system. It's not about in the future you'll you realize Dhamma, you know, Dhamma is ultimate reality, you must believe in it. He gave this significant teaching on suffering and its origin and cessation and path of non suffering. So you can realize no Dhamma directly, budgetang, it's budgetang, it's to be known individually, not through believing me or Ajahn Chah or the Buddha, but through your own insight. You can do it. You know, it's the human, this is the gift of our humanity is that we can realize Nibbana. It's not asking the impossible or holding up something so high, something so refined, something so remote that that, you know, we just can't, you know, we all we can do is worship it, admire it from a distance. So I think it's time for me to... <laughs>